of spills and stains on your sofa? Wash away your worries with Anabay. Anabay, the only sofa that's machine washable inside and out, where designer quality meets budget-friendly prices. That's right, sofas from only $639. Anabay brings you a no-risk experience with pet-friendly, stain-resistant, and changeable slipcovers made with performance fabric, cloud-like comfort with high-resilience foam, and hypoallergenic featherless down that needs no fluffing. Their steel frame ensures longevity, and you can rearrange the modular pieces anytime. And here's the cherry on top, up to 60% off site-wide. It's backed by a 30-day satisfaction guarantee, so if you're not absolutely in love, send it back for a full refund. No return shipping or restocking fees. Every penny back. Join the revolution of easy, clean, stylish living with up to 60% off at anabay.com. That's A-N-A-B-E-I.com. Offers are subject to change, and certain restrictions may apply. Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class, a production of iHeartRadio. Hello and happy Friday. I'm Tracy B. Wilson. And I'm Holly Fry. This week, we spent both of our episodes talking about the history of diabetes and insulin. And I think off mic, not while recording, uh, you mentioned there being various diabetes in your extended family. Uh Mine too. Yeah. Um, And then also, uh, when I was a kid growing up in the 80s and 90s, Um, One of, like, my long-term school friends had type 1 diabetes, which was definitely, I mean, it's still definitely a challenge to manage diabetes. It's a lifelong, ongoing thing. But what she was having to do in the 80s and 90s is uh, very different from what uh, my friends that I have kept up with now. Like, now I know folks who have insulin pumps that are delivering the insulin they need without this whole, like, get the thing out of the refrigerator and inject yourself process that she was having to do as a child. There are definitely people that are still um, injecting themselves with syringes and insulin that has to be refrigerated. Like once, once you get on a management strategy that's working for you, folks tend to be, are you reluctant to change that strategy because it can be a really big deal? Yeah. I mean, you're messing with your body chemistry in a way that is potentially fatal at that point if you start tweaking things without some pretty careful management. I think I probably actually at this point in my life know more about diabetes in cats than humans. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um None of mine thus far, and I knock wood because I am superstitious even though I know that's silly, um, have had it. But I have had a lot of friends who have had cats with it. And because our friend group tends to trade around cat care and some of my friends are a little squeamish about needles, there have (laughs) certainly been times when I have been the one to be like, I will administer this for you. Yeah. Um, Yeah, it's an interesting thing. It's fascinating to me because I personally tend to be the other way. I have low blood sugar naturally, and Mm. I'm more in danger of, like, not having enough protein to keep me going, uh, which is far less scary and easier to manage through diet. Although my understanding is that, you know, that's one of those things that your body can kind of switch gears and and, uh, turn it into a much more scary diabetic situation as you get older. Knock on wood, eating all the protein. Yeah, well, and the, <laughs> we didn't really talk about this part. We talked a lot about the the pancreas in the podcast, but we did not talk about how in in most people, the way that uh, type one diabetes develops is that the immune system attacks the islet cells in the pancreas for some reason. 
So as doctors are trying to find ways to treat diabetes itself, rather than using insulin as a a management strategy for diabetes, like one of the things is trying to keep the body from doing that in the first place. But as is the case with so many uh, autoimmune issues, the thing that causes the body to do that can be a whole range of different um, different things. Yeah, I'm curious. Um, I know we had to stop at one point because I had my ridiculously emotional reaction to discussion of dogs. Uh, yes, for anyone that knows that I am not a vegetarian, I understand that is complex and doesn't always make sense to everyone. Um, it's interesting to me how emotionally fraught some of these stories can be. And I mentioned the dog thing, but really what like hurt my heart was reading about the ways that they were limiting the nutrition of children to treat this. Yeah. Was there other stuff that you found that maybe didn't make it in that was similarly along that vein that you were like, ugh, not this? Uh, Some of the things that I read went into more detail about the dog research. Um, and especially older, like more detail of, of those earlier studies that people were doing on dogs before Banting and Best were doing anything. Um, and like some of that is just horrifying to read the details of. I Like I, at a couple of different points in my life, have been vegetarian for animal rights reasons. And like I opted out of taking anatomy and physiology in high school because I didn't want to have to dissect animals. Uh-huh. Um, so a lot of that stuff is, like, really uh, difficult for me. Like, yeah. I do I do eat meat now, but most of my meals are not, do not include meat. And, like, I'm also the person that's buying the humanely raised eggs and all of that. Oh, yeah. Um, so reading about that was all really hard. But at the same time, like, there are so many people in my life who need insulin to live, and they would not be here if people had not done that work, which makes it complicated. Right. I mean, that's really the thing. I feel like this is always my takeaway and something I always try to convey to people when talking about history is that none of it is clean and easy. None of it is like a black and white. They did everything correctly, and we can feel good about this because most advancements that have led to the comf- the creature comforts we enjoy today or the life-saving things that we need today and and have access to. And I use that in the very, very slushy nature because I know not everyone has ready access to it. Uh, but in terms of it just having been developed, does come from s- things that are uncomfortable and morally difficult in many cases. Yeah. So that's yeah. kind of the the dance you have to do when you're looking at some of this historical... Uh, the historical record in terms, particularly with scientific development. Yeah. And it's kind of hard to square. I think we, I know I would rather certainly that things be black and white and simple, but they're not. And kind of finding your way through that, that middle range and the ambiguity of not being able to say something was like all done perfectly. Right. Without any tainting to the, the moral dilemma is, uh, that's a trick. You can't do it. Yeah. Yeah. History, why Why must you be so cloudy? <laughs> <laughs> I have that question so many times working on the show. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'm also glad that there's, you know, there have been so many developments in 
and insulin and how it's made and how it works and how it acts in the body and insulin analogs and all that stuff. Um, like just, uh, like I said earlier, when I have been in the same room with somebody who was taking their insulin 1987 versus now, like it's just a more comfortable process for them. Yeah. <laughs> I would say now than in 1987. So even in our lifetimes, there've been these changes. Oh, yeah. I mean, when I was a kid, I was probably six. I think I was in first grade. Like, one of my classmates went into a diabetic coma, and, you know, it was she was a neighbor, and it was very touch-and-go, mm-hmm. and we didn't know if she was going to be okay. And I remember, like, that was my first exposure to diabetes and, like, trying to have this explained by my dad, who was trying to be very scientific but, like, was giving me way more than I was intellectually ready for. I just remember being like, what do you mean sugar can kill you? Wait. And I became a little scared of cupcakes for a minute. For a minute. Mm -hmm. Um, And it, it was one of those things. And now when I look back, I think, like, today that whole situation would have been completely different. Yeah. I mean, that can definitely still happen, and it's still a terrifying experience. Oh, but yeah. Like the, the available course of action exactly. is, is improved. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, still still room for more, uh, but improved. Yeah. Like so many things that we talked about on the show. So. <laughs> this is an ongoing development, right? Maybe next year there will be a, a magical thing, and this episode will be outdated. Uh, I would... Yeah. (laughs) If it makes it, I mean, given that we often have that problem where we talk about a thing and immediately it becomes slightly outdated because someone discovers the next scientific or technological advance, uncovers another historical fact that changes the context of everything. So we may be, we're initiating it and catalyzing it by putting it in the universe. (laughs) That would be cool. Uh, So yeah, thanks everybody for tuning in on this casual Friday. If you want to send us an email about any, anything, we're at historypodcast, iheartradio.com. Uh, and, you know, subscribe to our show if you haven't on Apple Podcasts or the iHeartRadio app or anywhere you like to listen to podcasts. Stuff You Missed in History Class is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.